turn to uh, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Everyone say, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. You may be seated in the presence of the Holy Ghost right now. God, thank you for your word right now. Thank you, musicians, for ushering in the Spirit of God this morning. If someone in today's world said, I want to climb the tallest mountain in the world, we would think that they were crazy first off, but then we would think that they would choose a certain mountain range, preferably, probably the Himalayan mountain ranges, specifically one in particular, Mount Everest, since it is considered the tallest mountain in the world above sea level. And if someone said that they wanted to do it next week without any practice on smaller journeys, without any climbing experience, and without precise planning and preparation, do you think that they would make it through this treacherous journey alive? I definitely do not. Experts say it takes at least 9 to 12 months of consistent training before even the most experienced climbers would attempt to climb a mountain such as Everest. And it takes around a good bit of money $28,000 on the low end to $85,000 on the higher end in order to make such a trip. The risk takers might skimp out on some of these luxurious commodities like paying for shaman uh, support to guide them around or paying for people to carry their stuff with them. And they might make it under twenty grand, but the ones who have some money to spend, it might cost you around $115,000. Not to mention that this is only the preparation for the journey. This is only the before. There's no during, there's no after. This is just before. It's this isn't even the harsh journey itself. And experts say it takes at least 19 days to go to and from the base camp of Mount Everest. And on top of that, it takes 40 days to reach the top of the mountain. So now if someone ever says to you that they are going to climb Mount Everest, you're definitely going to think that they're crazy. Because who would dare do such a thing? Who would dare invest in such a journey? Who would dare want the accomplishment of reaching the peak and receiving a little trophy that says, I climbed Mount Everest. Someone that believes. Someone that believes that they can survive the journey. Someone that goes where not many have gone before them and is willing to get looked at kind of strange. If a person of this world is so willing to climb the peak of the tallest mountain in the world and push their body to the limits, push their mind to the limits, and test everything that they have within themselves to see if they have what it takes, how much more willing should spirit-filled believers be willing to climb the God-ordained mountains in our life? How many of us are willing to invest ourselves in such a journey that God has called us to take? How many of us are willing to push ourselves to the limits? Many a times, we, the people of the church, will go through different seasons of life. And it kind of seems like a roller coaster. There's highs, and then there's lows. There's little dips, and then there's really fast drops. And there always seems to be a slow and steady climb to the top. 
And just like in life, there's mountains high and there's valleys low. There's trials and there's tribulations and there's victory at the mountaintops. But when we go through these different seasons of life, sometimes we can get a glimpse at what's ahead of us. We can see what's being asked of God. And when we see a mountain in front of us, we might be like, man, I don't want to climb that mountain. Said, I can't even see the peak of that mountain. Why would I even try to attempt that? Look how tall it is. You want me to climb that thing? And then some of us might read this verse and be like, okay, mountain, you ain't got nothing on me. And then they'll try and cast the mountain into the sea. But others of us will be ready for whatever God's, God's asking of us. But regardless, if that mountain is there because God put it there, you better start strapping up your hiking boots because we're going for a climb. We're going to do whatever God says because we're going to be radically obedient, just like Sister Lexi preached about. If you turn to Matthew chapter 14, starting verse, sorry, Matthew 25, starting verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he had received the five talents, he that had received the five talents, went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that hath five received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And he also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he which had also received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid my thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast thine, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I soweth not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to exchangers and then at my coming I shall have received mine on with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which had ten talents. For unto every one that shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See what this servant did? He was given one talent, and instead of trying to advance, Instead of trying to progress the things that he had been given, he decided to hide the talent and let it keep its worth. You know, it's only worth so much as it is. And he was like, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to try and cultivate the investment that I was given. I don't want to try and create more from this. And what happened? What came from the situation? This unprofitable servant had his values mixed up. See, the value that he was focused on was self-preservation. He was focused more on maintaining what was given to him instead of adding to what he had. See, self-preservation is not a kingdom value. When God gives us a journey to take, and the first thing we see is a mountain, 
we're ready to throw up our hands and say, we're, we're defeated, Lord. We can't do this. You're asking us to do this? Like, I can't do that. How are you going to ask me? Isn't there anything else that I can do? Isn't there another way around this? Do I really have to do this? See, when that starts coming out, that's the self-preservation inside of us talking. And the Bible says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We aren't willing to put in the effort to go through the journey that God is calling us on. And we would rather sit back and relax on the mountaintop. And unfortunately, an easy life is not the life that we are called to live. And if you think that is, then you might be in for some heartbreak. There's going to be different seasons of our lives, and we will constantly experience different ebbs and flows, and that's just a part of the journey. That's just a part of life. In John 16:33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the Amplified Version says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abideth. What encouraging words from our Lord. So the purpose of our trial, the purpose of our mountain in front of us is to draw things out of you, to make you better, to transform you into a better servant for his kingdom. Because bottom line, that's what we all are. We're just servants, and it's our choice if we're obedient or not. It's our choice if we're going to choose to do what God asks us to do. If, we gonna, if we're going to look at this mountain and say, you know what, God, I'm going to do it. I know you have my back. I know I'm going to go for it. But why does this happen? Why do we get asked to do this? In 1 Peter 1 and 7, it says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So our faith, being more precious than gold, has to be tried by fire. And that might sound scary, especially to somebody that's reading it for the first time. Like, I have to be tried by fire? I'm going to get burned? But the reasoning behind it is that with gold, you have to try it with fire. You have to heat it up in order to take the impurities out of it. And the end result is pure gold. The end result is that he will make us better than we ever were before. He will make us stronger than before. God will transform us into a new creature. And this word transformation is, has not always like clicked with me. Um, I remember I was talking to Bishop. I was asking him advice about doing sermons and stuff. And he explained to me about how when he first started preaching, he would get up on stage and he couldn't catch his breath. He couldn't really talk. And honestly, I feel that every time I come up here. <laughs> so I'm still trying to work past that. But God had to transform him. God had to transform his personality because that's not how he was. That's not how he was wired. So God had to take him from where he was and move him into who he wants him to be. So that word transformation just clicks it a little bit differently. Like it m has a new meaning to it now. And now we have gotten the investment part of the journey done. We have invested our $28,000, or for some of us, our 65000 or even 85000 We have convinced ourselves to climb this God-ordained mountain on our trip through life because we're going to be better for it. And we're going to be better because of it. And like I mentioned previously, 
previously, from the Mount Everest base camp to the peak, it takes about 40 days. So considering how big your mountain is in your life, it's going to take you a certain period of time to get past this portion of journey. And as you're going through this mountain, there's different stages of climbing it. It's not all one big sprint up a hill. You know, there's actual mountains out there. We don't have them in Florida, so it's a little bit different. There's times when you're climbing or you're walking on a trail. There are certain points where the oxygen levels just get so low, the air gets so thin, and you just have to stop and you have to rest because of that different oxygen level. And on a multi-day trip, you'll have to sleep as well so that you have to factor in that portion too. Climbing a mountain is no easy task, and at times we will remind ourselves in the midst of it. At times, we tend to just look into our situation too much. We might be in a little part of the mountain. We might just be like, Lord, like, wh what did you call me to? You know, that's what the people of Israel did when they were like, Lord, did you just bring us out here to the wilderness to die? Like, I thought that you were going to save us. I thought you were bringing us into the promised land. And at the mountainside, we may begin to find ourselves to grow heavy, beginning to lose our strength, beginning to get weary. The peak of the mountain is within sight, but yet it seems like too much to keep going. It seems like too much work to put in the effort that we can find ourselves in these situations where we're asking God to take us away from the situation. We're asking God to deliver us from the hand of the enemy because we're not willing to go through the fire. We're not willing to become the precious gold that he wants us to be. But instead, we should be asking God in these times to restore our strength to strengthen us, to give us more purpose, to give us more realization of all we need to do is to trust in God, and all we need to do is keep pushing forward in, or in order to enable us to keep going. The Lord our God is a restorer, amen? But when he restores us, he doesn't just take us back to our original state. He makes us better than where we were before. He isn't just going to restore us, he's going to transform us. He will make us better than ever before. And in Matthew 9, 17, it says, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. I remember the first time hearing this, I was just like, I was just like what does this mean? Like, what is the spiritual significance of this? I think it was actually when Bishop taught it um, when I was a little bit younger, and I was like, how does that make sense? I was like, it's just a container, right? But then you look at the spiritual significance of it. Like, when you make new wine, you don't want to put it in the old storage containers. You put new wine into the new storage containers so that the flavor doesn't change. It doesn't burst the container that you have right there. So if God is calling us to have some new wine, to have some different personality traits so he can use us in different ways, it's going to take us to change a little bit. It's going to make us have new ways to reach people that we haven't been able to reach before. And it's going to take some transforming. Amen. And for some of us, change can be scary. I know I don't like change that much at all. So whenever change happens, I have to kind of analyze it for a second. But I can find favor within the Lord. I can find peace within the Lord and be like, God, if this change is what you have called me to do, then I'm going to believe for it. I'm going to go through it with everything that I got because you told me. The new wine that is being put in won't sit well in this old storage container. So we have to be made new again constantly through God in order to be who he has called us to be. 
I'm sure in the process that Bishop was becoming the preacher that he is right now, there were several steps, several times that he had to constantly transform. And I'm sure he could look back and say, this is a point in my life, this is a point in my life, this is a point. And seeing the words that he has said to me as my elder, it kind of makes me excited for what God has in store. Amen. It kind of makes me keep my head up in times that I'm like, Lord, what is the situation? I, c- I can see the end result because I see my elders before me. I can see the product of his hard work, his dedication, his commitment to the kingdom. So in order to keep getting better and better, we have to keep being tested by fire. We have to keep renewing our containers to contain these new blessings that God wants to pour out. We have to make ourselves better so God can pour out these new anointings in our life. So when we ask God to restore us on the side of the mountain, we might have some rocks fall on us. We might have our feet fall. We might have our anchors fall. But our strength might be fading as well. And he isn't just going to restore our strength because he's a better God than that. He's a God of being one up on us. He's going to do more than restore us. He's going to make us better. He's going to take our prayers and transform them into our strength. He's going to take our strength and transform that into making us better. He's there every step of the way of for us already. He's there every time that you reach up and you grab another rock. He can feel your prayers, and he just puts that strength right back in you. He just allows it to use you. He's there every time that you're checking your anchor into the side of the mountain. He's there with you at all times. And the, the piece behind it is that he's already gone before us. He's um, omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's already at the mountaintop waiting for us, but he's right there when we're climbing the side of the mountain. And it's on us to trust in God, to trust that he is always with us right there. And a lot of times we might be thinking that's just us on this mountain specifically that we're climbing, but that's really never the case. His word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, so why would he abandon us now? And oftentimes we tend to be climbing the same mountains that people in the church are climbing. So on top of the fact that God is there, we might have other believers on the same mountain. You might be on different sides. You might be next to each other. You might not even know because you might not talk to that person or something. And so we can't sit idly by if we see another climber on the mountain. We can't just allow other members of our church to be struggling that same mountain. We can't just be spectators as their strength fades from them. As their faces begin to lose their energy, to lose their spirit, How long will we allow others to keep taking steps off the straight and narrow path before we say something to them? Will we wait and just ask God to move into their lives, or will we stop while we're climbing and say, Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Are you doing okay? I see that you're struggling a little bit. I know you don't have strength in your body. I know your energy is running low. I know you're on the verge of quitting. But you know what? Let me pray for you. Let my prayers transform into strength for your body. Let my prayers turn into a cry to restore God, to restore your energy, restore your spirit, restore what the mountain has taken from you. And you know what? We're stronger together. I'll help you climb up this mountain. You just hop on my back. You just grab my hand. We're just going to climb this together. I'll reach up, and I'll anchor myself in, and I'll pull you up right next to me. Because the fact of the matter is, it's not about me at all. It's not about who makes it to the mountaintop first. It's not a race. We're all in this together. We're all on the same journey. So all the glory doesn't go to us. It doesn't go to who goes to the mountaintop first. It goes to God. It goes to God first. It goes to God last. It goes to God everywhere in between. 
So if God is exalted through me in someone else's time of trouble, a time of needing help, then I'll do whatever I can to help you guys out. I'll do whatever I can to lift another brother or sister up. And then we, <laughs> thank you, Sister Melinda. And then we can look at our pastor. Our pastor is our shepherd. He keeps us on the straight path. And some of us might be thinking, while we're going through storms and whirlwinds, that our pastor is sitting at the top of the mountain, right next to God. That he's just up there, standing there, waving at us, waving down, looking, oh, hey, hey, guys, what are you doing down there? Come on up here. But that's not the truth. If that's the case, then we need to shift our perspective. He's got so much going on behind the scenes that we never see. I mean, he's got Ensley right now, and she just is not happy. <laughs> but yet he still comes to church with a smile on his face. He greets us with love. He asks about us. He continues to lead us. So while you may be thinking that he's on the mountaintop, he's seeing others falling down. He's seeing others falling behind, and he's the first one to be like, I'm going to go help them. I'm going to go up to them. I'm going to climb down this mountain and begin to encourage them, begin to try to help them out. He's the one leaving the 99 to save the single one. Thank you, mighty God. Musicians, you can join me on the platform. Thank you, mighty God. If you turn to uh, John chapter 11, starting verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already, he being Lazarus. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha... As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in, in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. In the midst of our situation, we might, we might blame our circumstances. We might be able to see this and start to blame God, start to feel abandoned by God. <laughs> That's not the case at all. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but I know, in verse 22, that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall yet live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. He had enough time to stink. That's how dead he was. God said, Watch this. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was lain, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I thank you, God, that you have seen me in my times of trouble. I thank you, mighty God, for always being with me at all times, O Lord. 
And if I knew that thou hast heareth me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. If you stand with me this morning, getting ready to close. When I was preparing for this message, God gave me two phrases, a total of three words that just shook me to my core. I received the first one on the service after Bishop preached about the angels and the cross and gave us a word from the Lord. And it still rings so clear, clearly in my head. And he said, prepare for duty. Prepare for duty. Thank you, God. And so right now I'm going to ask all of you to lift your hands. God's ready to pour out some new wine into this place. He's getting ready to renew us into some new containers. And right now I speak to every dead thing. I speak to every old container that's ready to burst. Lazarus, come forth. Come forth right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord God, I ask that you would pour out in this place, O oh Lord. Renew us, O oh mighty God. Fill us up with your new wine, O oh God. Renew us with your spirit, O oh mighty God. We know that you have so much for us, O oh Lord. We know that you have so much in store for us, O oh mighty God. We receive it right now in Jesus' name. We receive it right now in Jesus' name. We're ready to receive what you have for us, O oh God. We're going to look at this mountaintop and we're going to conquer it in Jesus' name. We're going to go forth and be radically obedient in your name, O oh God. Whatever you do, O oh God, whatever you ask of us, O oh God, you will be with us, Lord. And we will do what you ask of us, Almighty God. From the inside